Hello, and welcome to the Cake Lady Podcast. I am your host, Jahari Hamilton. Today, you will hear from Dr. LaMonica Stewart as she shares, You Can't Find What You Don't Know. Dr. Stewart is an Associate Dean of the College of Graduate Studies and Research at Meharry Medical College. She discusses prostate cancer research, potentially new treatments for prostate cancer, and the risk factors for prostate cancer. Welcome, Dr. Stewart. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here this afternoon. Dr. Stewart, would you please share with our listeners the type of research you and your colleagues perform? Our research can be categorized broadly as preclinical studies. And by that, what we're talking about is we spend a lot of time doing studies on human cell lines that mimic the disease of prostate cancer. To some extent, we also use in vivo models of prostate cancer to mimic the human disease. And the work that's done in my laboratory is primarily designed to identify novel therapeutic strategies for prostate cancer. Currently, we have some treatments that are very effective at treating early stage cancer, but once the tumors become advanced and metastatic, our ability to control those prostate tumor spread is somewhat limited. And so the work that's being done in my laboratory is designed to help us, one, understand better the biology of the disease and to determine whether certain compounds, particularly right now, we're looking at compounds that are used to treat type 2 diabetes, but can they be repurposed to um, treat patients who also have or who may have prostate cancer? Wow, that is very impressive. When you talk about novel treatments, how does that impact the community, specifically African-American men who may be predisposed or have a history of prostate cancer? So... The treatments that we're looking at right now are drugs that are already um, approved by the Federal Drug Administration for different diseases. For example, metformin, which is commonly used. It's usually the first line drug um, when a patient is diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and a decision is made to place them on some type of drug therapy. And currently that drug, again, it's generic. There's, There's a low cost to it. So if we can show through our studies that prostate cancer patients' disease can be controlled by metformin, then it could be really easy to take that drug and apply it to the treatment of prostate cancer because the drug is already approved. And it's a generic, so the cost that would be incurred by developing some drug that has recently been approved is still under patent, maybe more expensive, and that can become cost prohibitive to various communities that having a drug that's already been approved, been out there for a while, that we know it's relatively safe, might be a really great way to control the disease at a reduced cost. I don't want to take for granted that our listeners know exactly what prostate cancer is. We all may have heard the term prostate cancer. Some of our relatives may have even experienced the disease. But I want you to share with us exactly what prostate cancer is. Okay, so I'll start here. The prostate is an organ that is found in men. So if you are female or born female, 
then you don't, you were not born with a prostate. Therefore, you do not develop prostate cancer. If you were a male or you were born male, then you have an organ called the prostate that is beneath the bladder, which holds urine, and that surrounds the urethra, which essentially is a structure that takes urine from the bladder outside of the body. And so when patients develop prostate cancer, they have a, a mass of cells usually that is growing uncontrollably within that prostate organ. Many times it presents because of where it's located, again, it's beneath the bladder, surrounds the urethra. Sometimes men will present with urination problems because of the enlarged growth or enlarged size of the prostate. While the tumor starts in the prostate, it can um, leave that organ and travel through the lymphatic system and the bloodstream to distant sites in our body. Those are called metastases. And it's usually the metastases that patients die from when they're dying of prostate cancer. It's not necessarily the initial tumor that develops in the prostate. Why is prostate cancer research important and how does it benefit the African-American community? While we have learned a lot about the disease of prostate cancer over the last you know, several years, there's still a lot that we don't understand. We don't understand why certain populations are more predisposed to having or developing prostate cancer than others. For example, African-American men are twice as likely to be diagnosed with prostate cancer, and they're twice as likely to die from prostate cancer. And we really don't understand fully why that is compared to Caucasian men or other races and ethnicities. We have some understanding of the things that drive growth of these prostate tumors. We don't fully understand why prostate tumors, however, metastasize to distant sites. So if we had a better understanding of the factors that control growth of prostate tumors, how they develop, why they develop, what things predispose to the development of prostate cancer, and then once a patient is diagnosed with prostate cancer, you know, what things are required for that tumor to grow, what things are required for that tumor to metastasize to distant sites. If we have a better understanding of that through biomedical research, then we can use that information, for example, to help prevent the development of prostate cancers in multiple populations, not just African-American or Caucasian men. You said metastases and metastasize. Can you share with our listeners just a little bit more about what metastasize means and what are some of the common metastases that are associated with prostate cancer and the progression? When I think about metastases, I think about movement. So again, we talk about the idea that patients can have prostate cancer, not just within the prostate, but those cancer cells can escape the prostate and they can move to distant sites in the body. And the tumors can essentially set up new homes where they can grow away from the prostate. Sometimes this distant site is the brain. Very commonly, it can be in the bone. And so sometimes patients who are suffering from prostate cancer, you will see in bone scans evidence of small tumors in their skeletal system just because the tumor cells have moved into the bone environment and that's where they're growing and taking up root. So when we talk about metastases, we're referring to tumors that are growing in a location in the body away from or outside of the prostate. 
With that being said, can you explain the causes of prostate cancer? In my research, I found that there are inherited mutations uh, as well as acquired mutations. Can you share what those different terms mean? And is there one that's more prevalent than the other? Sure. So I'm going to back out a little bit and start with risk factors and then expand into talking about the different types of mutations. So I would say the three common risk factors that are associated with the development of prostate cancer include age, race, and family history. Prostate cancer is truly associated with age. The older a man gets, his risk for prostate cancer increases. You really don't see prostate cancer in men, say, under 40. But if you start counting the numbers of cases, they dramatically start to increase after about the age of 40. And again, about one in eight men will develop prostate cancer in their lifetime. So what's the connection between age and mutations? All of us, just as we live and breathe and are exposed to different environmental factors, even as our cells replicate in our body, every time a cell replicates, there's a possibility to pick up a change in the DNA sequence, i.e. a mutation that could predispose to a particular type of cancer. Usually we have processes in our body that are designed to help repair any damaged DNA so that you can fix that problem before it progresses into an issue. But the longer we live, the greater opportunity we have to accumulate acquired mutations and we know that there are certain pieces of DNA or genes that are key for controlling growth of various cells. So when you pick up mutations in these key genes or multiple key genes, because it's usually not just one, but when you pick up these mutations in key genes over your lifespan, those alterations in DNA sequence or mutations can lead to changes in the production of various proteins. So Again, the longer you're alive, the more opportunity you have to develop or to pick up acquired mutations in genes that would ultimately drive cancer growth. So we just talked about age. Let's talk about race. Again, we know that African-American men are more predisposed to develop prostate cancer and they're more likely to die from prostate cancer. And we don't fully understand why that is, but when we look at the studies, and we stratify the number of cancers per race, it's definitely clear it's more prevalent in African-American men. The other risk factor is family history. And if you have a first order relative, say a father or a brother who has prostate cancer, then you're more likely to develop prostate cancer. Thank you for backing up and just laying out the risk factors, those things that we need to look for age, race, family history. When you talk about age, my understanding of what you said is that the risk increases based on natural process. That is correct. It's just a natural process of aging that alterations are occurring in the DNA and those accumulate to such an extent that the patient can develop prostate cancer. If you look in, again, 80-year-old men, after they've died, pull out their prostate, you'll probably either see early-stage prostate cancer or some precancerous lesions. 
What we don't understand is why is it in some patients that those precancerous lesions are pushed to develop a prostate cancer that may be life-threatening and in other patients, you know, they live their entire lives, they die from some other cause, and we only realize that they had precancerous lesions after death. So can we talk about the growth rate? Sure. And again, a lot of this is still being researched in terms of the genes that drive cancer growth. One gene that we know, or one protein that we know is a key driver of definitely early stage as well as late stage prostate cancer is a protein called the androgen receptor. And so that responds to male hormones, testosterone, dihydrotestosterone that are made at elevated levels in men. Now, the androgen receptor is not the only protein that drives cancer growth. There are a wide variety of oncogenes, genes that we know that when they're expressed at high levels can drive growth of multiple types of cancers, including prostate. There are a group of genes called tumor suppressor genes that normally in our body suppress tumor growth. And when those genes are lost through mutation, um, that loss of expression of those proteins can lead to tumor growth. And we know that in many cases, it's a combination of multiple genes. You're having activation of some oncogenes or having loss of some tumor suppressors that over the span of a patient's life can lead to the development of prostate cancer. Now, getting back to your original question, is that one of the reasons why there's a difference in the incidence rate in African-American men versus Caucasian men? We don't fully understand. We know that some of that is due or could be due to socioeconomic issues, but the data that's out there suggests that socioeconomic issues and access to care issues may not be the only thing that's driving the difference. There may be a component that is linked to biology, how that balances with the socioeconomic issues and the access to care is unclear. Again, we focused on age, race, and family history. There is some additional evidence out there suggesting that obesity can also influence growth of various types of tumors, including prostate. So it's not necessarily just one thing that's driving the racial health disparity associated with prostate cancer. It's probably multiple factors, some inherited, some environment, some socioeconomic, some biology that are all playing together that ultimately drive whether a patient, you know, presents in the clinic with prostate cancer or not. So unless you have a family history, you would not necessarily know. That is correct. What I want to put emphasis on is early detection. Early detection can help us to pick up something that might be problematic early before it's metastasized to such a great extent that the tumor growth is life-threatening is at a stage where it's difficult to control. And again, there are many men who are surviving and thriving after a prostate cancer diagnosis, but our ability to control that or to make that more of a reality is somewhat constrained by how early the tumor was detected. And compared to some other cancers, prostate cancer is a slow growing tumor. So if you can catch it early enough, then we can take the appropriate steps to, again, keep it at an earlier stage where we can control it better.
What can African-American men do if they know they have a family history of the disease? I've even done some research that shows vitamin D as a supplement and making sure your vitamin D levels are optimal. So can you talk about some of those things that can be done? And it's interesting you mentioned vitamin D. As a postdoctoral fellow, I actually did research looking at the anti-tumor effects of vitamin D on prostate cancer. So there is some literature out there that suggests that having elevated levels of vitamin D in the system can protect against growth of both prostate as well as breast cancers. And so making sure you're not vitamin D deficient, uh, am I saying go out and take a vitamin D supplement? Not necessarily unless you need it. And again, your doctor can tell you after doing the appropriate blood test, whether you are not at the appropriate vitamin D levels, whether your vitamin D levels in your blood are low and whether that requires supplementation. I think, again, there is some association between obesity and multiple types of cancers, including prostate. So again, just as a rule for overall general health, making sure you're at the appropriate weight, that you're eating lots of healthy fruits and vegetables, cutting down on the red meat and the fatty foods and the processed foods. There, again, is a metabolic component to prostate cancer as well as other tumors. So just being in good health, you know, making sure you're exercising, all of those things can help put you in a situation where uh, your risk is reduced. Now, again, we talked about the idea that there are some other factors that play into whether a person develops prostate cancer or not. So does that mean that if I eat right and I exercise like I'm supposed to, and I make sure I get lots of sun or vitamin D through my diet, will I never develop prostate cancer? No, we can't say that. But having an overall healthy lifestyle hopefully will one, reduce that risk. And if you are developing tumors, our hope is that the enhanced healthy lifestyle, the good eating, enhanced levels of vitamin D would slow down growth of any tumors that do develop and reduce the severity of the tumors that develop. Let's talk about some of those diagnostic tests or screenings used to diagnose prostate cancer. A common test that is done is something called the prostate-specific antigen test. Prostate-specific antigen or PSA test, it's often called, measures a protein that is at normally low levels in the blood. It's made in the prostate and it's usually contained within the prostate. And if there is some disruption to the prostate, PSA levels will increase in the blood. We know that many patients who suffer from prostate cancer have an elevated level of PSA. And so one of the screening tests for PSA is a blood test. It used to be that once you hit about 40, 45, it was automatic, you had to get a PSA test. The guidelines for PSA testing have been adjusted within recent years, such that once you hit the age of 50, if you are at low risk or at average risk, then the suggestion is that you start having conversations with your physician about having the test, because we know that in some situations, you can have low levels of PSA, but be a person with prostate cancer. Conversely, the lower range of PSA numbers, a high PSA doesn't necessarily mean that you have cancer. So it's not a perfect test. But we know that, again, if you have really high PSA levels, there's a possibility that you have prostate cancer. And then that might also dictate additional tests. 
Another screening test that's often done in the physician's office is one called the digital rectal exam or the DRE. And the reason why they do the DRE is because if you think about the anatomy, where prostate tumors normally develop in the prostate is on that outer side of the organ. And you can feel part of that through the rectum. And if there's a lump or bump there, that might suggest that the patient has prostate cancer. So again, those are the first two screening tests, usually depending on the results of that test, if there's something that looks a little suspicious, then the doctor would order a biopsy. The biopsy is the definitive test for prostate cancer. So even if you might see something a little suspicious on the DRE, even if your PSA levels might be a little bit elevated because they can be elevated by some things that are not cancerous, the definitive test is the biopsy. So you'll have to have a biopsy essentially where they use a small needle to go in and take out a piece of the tissue of the area of concern. And then they can actually look microscopically at that tissue and determine is that tissue normal looking or is it cancerous? So to ultimately diagnose prostate cancer, you'll need to have a biopsy. But before you get to that stage, usually the DRE and the PSA exams are ways we can screen for prostate cancer. Again, that neither one is perfect, but they help us to identify men who might be suffering from prostate cancer earlier if we weren't doing either of those tests. Great information on today. Thank you, Dr. Stewart, for sharing your expertise. Before we leave, I'm not going to ask you another question because I said that was the last one, but I do want you to share with our listeners, specifically our men, from a research point of view, the importance of being aware, living that healthy lifestyle, early detection, and physicals to, if at all possible, prevent prostate cancer and the progression? Some of the symptoms for prostate cancer can kind of be innocuous. You know, you may just not be feeling great. You may have some issues with urination, but they could seem very minor. And because they're very minor, you might be more inclined to just kind of brush them off. Oh, it's not really a big deal. When in actuality, it might be a bigger deal than you think. And so if you're not feeling, you know, 100%, if something feels off, making sure that you go to your physician and get that checked out, making sure that you go to your physician on a regular basis that may be annually for you to be screened for these potential diseases. Again, they do increase with age. And so if you catch it earlier, then your treatment options are a little bit more broad and we have a better chance of addressing the tumor at a point where it doesn't become life-threatening. Because once it becomes life-threatening, then we're not only having to take strategies to protect your life, your health and well-being, but then that has a bigger impact on your family. Again, you can't find what you don't know. And if you don't check early enough, you could be walking around with prostate cancer a cancer that could be, you know, pretty much treated and well-controlled, but you just don't know. So definitely making sure you get screened, asking questions when you go to your doctor. Again, you're there, you're paying great money. You should get your test, but you all should be having a conversation about what are my PSA levels? Should I be having a DRE? Should I be more vigilant? Should I be more concerned based on my family history? Just asking all of those questions so that you can be an informed patient 
and that you are taking steps to protect your health as well as overall health and well-being of your family. That is a great way to end. And I just want to thank you again for having this conversation with us. Thank you for sharing your expertise and knowledge. Thank you for the work so that we can have better treatment options, better screenings, better diagnostic tests, and overall help our African-American men live longer, fuller, healthier lives. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Cake Lady Podcast. You have officially joined the conversation. If you would like more information about prostate cancer or prostate cancer awareness, please visit the Cake Lady Podcast website at jaharihamilton1.wixsite.com forward slash podcast. For more information, about the Memphis Empowerment Initiative nonprofit organization, please visit www.memphisempowerment.org. The annual Save Our Fathers Men's Health Summit is coming virtually to a city near you. Saturday, October 8th at 10 a.m. You don't want to miss it. For more information or to register, please visit www.memphisempowerment.org.